today we're starting with Psalm 1, as Hannah read for us. Um, it's the first Psalm, so it's as good a place as any to start. Um, and, and I suppose just by way of introduction, so that you guys um, are kind of up to speed as we go into this book over the summer, um, the Psalms, if you don't know, are, are, are prayer songs. That um, They're written by human authors over a long, long period in Israel's history. So the earliest one goes back to the time of Moses, and some of them uh, go uh, much, much later than that, the time of David and then Solomon, and even after that. But they're, they're, as much as they're written by human authors, they're, they're inspired by the Holy Spirit, and they're given to us, they're included in Scripture, so that we can then, in turn, confidently pray and sing uh, these, uh, pray and sing these prayer songs because they are given to us by God. Uh, but there's two things I want us to keep in mind as we go through uh, some of these Psalms over the summer. Firstly, I think the Psalms display more than anywhere in the Bible uh, honest human emotion, right? I think as we, as we read uh, the Psalms, what we see is, is people simply expressing to God how they feel, unashamedly, rightly or wrongly. There's loads of stuff in there that we're not meant to, uh, that, that aren't, isn't the right way to think, isn't the right way to, to feel, um, but it's honest. And so we can use the Psalms to engage not just our thinking, because we're so used to t- talking about and considering how we think about God, um, but actually we can engage our feelings, engage our emotions, right? Um, I, and I think that we can, can honestly uh, engage and, and not disengage how we feel, and, 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 then, and then let God, through these prayers, shape how we feel, because our emotions betray us all the time, right? Like how I feel today isn't necessarily how I will feel tomorrow or how I will feel in five minutes' time, or how I was feeling five minutes ago. And uh, so that's the first thing. They're about human emotions, and so we want to engage our emotions as we engage with these psalms. But the second and the most important thing to remember about the psalms is that the, the psalms... Oh, I'm going to trip over this. The psalms are all about Jesus, okay? Um, every single psalm, every single uh, prayer song uh, um, points to Jesus and finds its fulfillment in Jesus, okay? So the true meaning of every psalm is found in him. And as we uh, look at various psalms over the course of the summer, I hope that that's what we see. We see direct lines to Jesus. Now, we're not going to work our way through uh, psalm by psalm. We're we're not going to do it in any particular order, but we are going to be looking at key psalms over the course of the next eight weeks. Actually, seven weeks, because we're not gathering here next Sunday. Um, But this is a great thing about this book. Um, there, there definitely are overarching themes, and it's actually broken into various books within that, but um, we can look at each one um, in its own focus, in its own subject, its own purpose, and so then we can um, actually apply that to ourselves and see how Jesus is a fulfillment of each one that we look at. So I'm hoping that this is a time of blessing. I'm hoping it's a time of encouragement. I hope it's a time of uh, engaging our feelings and then pointing directly to Jesus. So let me pray for us again uh, as we get into Psalm 1 this morning. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, it's alive and active. We thank you that you are speaking to us, your children, this morning. I pray that you give us ears to hear you as we consider what it means to be blessed. Uh, um, Holy Spirit, uh, freely work in this room this morning, this congregation. Work in our hearts, work among us, and change us to be more like Jesus. And it's in his name we ask. Amen. Um. It's interesting that uh, we've already had, I didn't know this was going to happen this morning, we've already had uh, Travis mention uh, Instagram and social media, and we've already had uh, uh, um, Naomi talking about blessing and the Beatitudes, Um, but I wonder if you've ever come across the hashtag blessed, hashtag blessed, right? 
it's a huge thing. Um, if you're on social media at all, you've probably seen this. I've just taken all social media off my phone because I was spending too much time just scrolling through nonsense. Um, it was distracting me and it was wasting my time. But um, when you see the hashtag blessed, especially on Instagram, it's usually somebody posting a picture of themselves on a nice beach somewhere maybe, like they're on holiday in some glamorous location, hashtag blessed, or maybe it's a plate of nice food cooked by a nice chef, hashtag blessed, or a group of friends posting together, hashtag blessed. Um, one of the things that um, it's used more and more for, for now is like uh, healthy living and well-being, hashtag blessed. I've had all this, uh, I have the, 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 the healthiest way to live. Um, it's actually become a bit of a joke. I think that it's kind of turned in itself now, and people are starting to see through the kind of falsity of saying that just because things are going well for you in your life that you are hashtag blessed. Uh, I, I checked on this on Friday, and on Instagram alone, there were 143,759,450 hashtag blessed posts. That's a lot of blessing. <laughs> But what do people really mean when they say hashtag blessed? Because if we look at the things that people are posting, or if we think about the things that we think of as of us being blessed, it might actually uh, be a little bit of bragging. Um, so you might say, I'm so blessed to be with friends who love me, or I'm so blessed to have this home, or I'm so blessed that it's summer holidays, or I've got this nice coffee, or my bed is warm, or whatever it is. I'm blessed by how good I've got it, and I want everyone to know about it. But is this really what being blessed means? Is being blessed really just having things going well for you in your life, for you and your finances or your relationships or your health even? What if there is more to it than this? And this is the question that we have to ask. And I think that this psalm, Psalm 1, introduces for us. The question we need to ask is what does it mean to have a blessed life? What does it mean to be blessed? You see, the Bible talks about blessing in different terms than Instagram. <laughs> in Matthew chapter 5, uh, Jesus begins his Sermon on the Mount, and Naomi's already alluded to this this morning in, in Luke chapter 6 of the Sermon on the Plain, and he, he, just, he starts by describing what it means to be blessed. He gives a series of statements called Beatitudes, which just means blessings. And I think if we posted the things he says on Instagram um, with the hashtag blessed, People would think we were mad because here's some of the things he says. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. He goes on to say, blessed are those who per are persecuted. And the final one he says here in Matthew 5 is, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Now, this doesn't really sound like somebody who's blessed, does it? Somebody's lying about you, insulting you to your face. Somebody's uh, meek, mourning. You go to a wake and, and you're, you say, hashtag blessed. Like people think you're mad. If somebody is posting on social media about how they're mourning or insulted, would they really use the hashtag blessed? You see, the picture of blessing that we get given in the Bible is, I think, is, is far deeper than, than just having your life go in the way you think it should, Right? In the Bible, God tells us that being blessed is not about having a life that has no trouble. It's not about having a life free from suffering. It's not about prospering financially. It's not about having good health. It's not about having a life partner. In the Bible, we see that there is a blessing that is far deeper than just the nice things that the world gives us, that life can give us. To be blessed in a biblical sense is, is, is 
complete human flourishing. It's the type of human existence that we were designed and created for. And by God's grace, we will experience in the new creation. Being blessed is, is the pleasure and joy that, that we receive from being made right with God. There, there is a deep, deep joy and satisfaction that comes from being in, in right standing with God. And, and it's so deep and it's eternally lasting so that our life circumstances can't change that, right? So when we are in God's favor, when we know we are saved and when we know we have this eternal inheritance, right? There is nothing good in life that can add on to that. And there's nothing bad in life that can take away from that. Now, don't get me wrong. I do feel blessed, and I do think it's blessing that I get to go to the North Coast for two weeks. That's a great thing. God has given me that gift. But that doesn't add to the blessing that is mine through being in Jesus. And, and this is the very thing that this psalm is talking about. This psalm sounds exactly like Jesus teaching the Beatitudes. It starts with a Beatitude. Blessed is the one, it says. And from this psalm that we're going to see, in answer to our question, what does it mean to, to, to be blessed? What does it mean to have a blessed life? We're going to see that Jesus is the only way to a blessed life. Jesus is the only way to a blessed life. This is the conclusion that we, we arrive at as we read this psalm. Psalm 1 is the, is the introduction to the whole book of the Psalms, right? It's our, it's our doorway into the Psalms. In fact, uh, one of the early church fathers actually said that it's like, the door into the, it's like the door into the great building that is the book of the Psalms. So if you imagine it's some great cathedral, then Psalm 1 is the door that we have to walk through. And we walk through this door of considering what it means to be blessed, which I think is really lovely. It's dealing with blessing, but it also comes with a warning. It starts with a blessing and ends with a warning. You see, what the psalm does for us is tell us of two different ways in life, right? As the Bible so often does. It tells us of, of, of a way that leads to blessing, but then it also tells us of another way that leads to destruction. Being blown away like chaff in the wind. Not standing in judgment. And right at the beginning of our tour of, of the Psalms, it's kind of a, what do you call that? Is that a whistle-stop tour when you kind of go, you know, different places? It's right at the start of our tour of the Psalms, we're faced with a choice that we all have to make. One path that leads to blessing and the other path that leads to destruction. Now, I don't know anybody in their right mind who would say, well, I don't want, the I don't want to be blessed. I want destruction. So we need to be aware of that there is blessing available. Like God says, there is ultimate joy and deep satisfaction, ultimate fulfillment, human flourishing that is offered to us. But to reject that means that you're going down the other path. You're, going, uh, you're not just rejecting our flourishing, you're embracing destruction. And we have to choose. And here's why I think this. Because if we pray this psalm, like, and we are encouraged to pray the psalms. The church has been praying the psalms since the beginning of the church. If we pray this psalm, and we start by saying, blessed is the one who dot, 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 and we'll come back to that. What we're actually doing is, is we're, we're declaring. We're saying, yes, I believe that there is blessing. And, and I believe that it's only the person that, the only person that will have True blessing, this deep satisfaction and joy is, is only the kind of person described in this psalm. So in some ways, to even join in with the first few words of this psalm, right, is a statement of faith. I, I pray this and I say, blessed is the one. I'm making a statement of faith. 
It's asking us to affirm that this is really what we believe about being blessed. Do we truly believe that the only way to be uh, blessed is the way that is described for us in the verses that follow? And this is a challenge for us, isn't it? Um, I don't know about you, but I constantly live with this temptation to live the half and half life, right? The half in, half out. On one hand, we confidently say, yes, I do believe that this is what the Bible says is true. Uh, and, and the only way to true satisfaction and fulfillment and flourishing is what the Bible teaches. I am 100% on board with that. But then on the other hand, we struggle in our own circumstances. We look at, like I did the other day, we look at hashtag blessed on Instagram and we see all these things. We see the nice beaches and the nice meals and the nice houses and the nice relationships. And, and I do have a nice relationship, by the way, but, but, but I know I'm not saying about that. I've, I've worked myself into a cul-de-sac here. I'm going to reverse and come back out. But we look at these things and, and we're convinced that just because we don't have some of these things or all of these things, that we're not blessed. Or that because I'm not in a committed relationship, I'm somehow unfulfilled. Or because life isn't going exactly the way I thought it would and things are actually a bit difficult and not to my exact liking, that I am not blessed. And our, our head tells us something different. Our head is in the Bible going, yeah, I believe this is true. But in our heart, we're going, I don't, I, I don't accept this is true. That's the half and half life, not the, the blessed life. And this is the life that on, on one hand says, yes, Lord, I trust you. But can you also give me some of that, that good material stuff too? Or, or yes, Lord, I trust you for salvation and eternal future, sure. But can you also top that up with a bit of job satisfaction? And maybe this resonates with you because I know that it certainly resonates with me. Now, when the psalm is describing the path to blessing, flourishing, fulfillment, it actually starts with, by talking about what blessing is not. We're going to look at verse 1 again. I think it's on the screen. He says this, blessed is the man. Now, let's pause there for a second. This isn't just talking about a man. What this is, is doing here is actually saying, it's actually pointing out that it's singular. Blessed is the one, he's saying. It's not just for the guys in the room. This is, uh, this is for everyone. It's a blessed is the one. That's a good way of translating it. Blessed is the one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So in this verse, we're given three statements about what uh, the blessed person is not. And each one kind of builds on the previous one. We go from walking to standing to sitting. And the first one, we see the blessed one is the one who doesn't walk in step with the wicked. Now, maybe when you read the wicked, like I, I did, I did and, and we tend to do, we think of like really bad people, right? We think of murderers, we think of uh, human traffickers, we think of dictators invading other countries, we think of all these kinds of things. But the Bible actually has a really specific meaning for this term. These people called the wicked, they come up again, up again and again in the Psalms. You, you find them especially in the wisdom literature, uh, in, in the book of Proverbs especially. And what it means is uh, men and women, people who, for whom the direction of their lives is against God. Okay, So we might not look at them and think they are particularly evil, right? So I might not hang out with my non-Christian friend and think, well, that's an evil dude. But actually... The, the direction of their life is against God. They're not walking in step with God's way. They walk in rebellion to God. Now, before we get on our high horses, we see this idea 
in Ephesians chapter 2 when the Apostle Paul is describing us as Christians before God intervened and saved us by His grace through the death of Jesus. Listen to what he says. He says, and you were dead. He's talking to Christian church here. He's talking to Christians. He says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. So, so this idea of we are walking in the way. He goes on to say that the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and whereby nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That was us before we met Jesus, before Jesus intervened. And so the wicked is this idea. It's anyone who's, who's not walking in step with Jesus, not walking in, in the way of God, anyone who is outside of Jesus, anyone who is against Jesus. And the thing is that even though we have been saved, right? Even though that we are new creations in Jesus, we've been given a new life, we have a new nature, we still live among those who are walking against God. We use the language of Psalm 1, we still live among the wicked. And even more so, as we, as we battle against ourselves, as we struggle within our, ourselves, battle against the flesh, the Bible calls it, we are so tempted to just walk in step with the wicked, aren't we? We all feel this temptation. We want to fit in. We don't want to stand out. As much as this, as much as this cultural moment is teaching us individuality and, and live your own truth and, and do your own thing, actually, what we all want to do is just to fit in. We instinctively want to say the same things as the world. We want to laugh at the same jokes. We want to share the same values, make the same life decisions. And I, I don't care what stage we're at at life. And I, I kind of assumed that the older I got, and I'm now like pretty much a middle-aged man, I thought, well, I'd probably grow out of this. No, I haven't grown out of it. You feel this temptation to just walk in step with the world. It's not easy to march out of step. It's really not. It's not easy to be the only one in your office who, who, who holds a biblical opinion on sex and gender, for example. It's, it's not easy to go against the crowd and, 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 take, and, and, value the, the, and value the life of unborn children, right? That's not an easy thing to do. And, and yet, this psalm is saying that the blessed life, the way of true satisfaction and fulfillment, comes to the one who doesn't march to the beat of the world's drum. Let that stand for a second. Secondly, we see that the one who is blessed is the one who doesn't stand in the way that sinners take. Now, the word stand here uh, it makes us think that this is more, than, more of a, a settled position, right? It's not just walking anymore. We're taking a stand. Um, walking is following a path, maybe even following a crowd. But standing is a more assured position, isn't it? Uh, we use this in everyday language. So we say, where do you stand on this issue, right? Where do you stand on that? Or when we talk about someone, oh, they, they took a stand for that. <laughs> we, we use this language. Standing is more than just going along with the flow. Standing is, 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 is taking a determined, settled position. It's planting your feet. This is talking about people who take a firm stance that is against God and His ways. And the problem for us is that we are, by our uh, very nature, weak to stand on our own. So we end up taking stands that we might not necessarily want to. 
We find that our worldview is shaped kind of by osmosis, right? That, w- that we just take on board principles and values and we hold them so tightly, but we might not have considered how we came to have them in the first place or even if they are right or wrong. I think that for a lot of Christians in our context, our values, the things that we stand firm on, have been absorbed rather than considered and tested. They're, they're, they're just part of our environment, so we never really question them. Um, you've probably heard this analogy before, um, but two fish in the sea. And one, one fish says to the other fish, oh, the water's nice today. And the, the other first fish says, what's water? Because we don't recognize the water's all around us. We can't see it. It's just, we just absorb it. It's all around us. We don't even think that it's there. And it's so easy to be flexible with our stance, isn't it? Um, we can value different things with different people. We want to fit in, and so we change our values to match the stance of those around us. This is the the temptation that we all face, and and we all do it. And yet Psalm 1 tells us that the way of true blessing, that human flourishing, fulfillment, deep joy, is to deliberately and intentionally not stand with the world. Thirdly, the one who is blessed is the one who doesn't sit in the company of scoffers. What does this mean? Well, if standing is more settled than walking, and, and sitting is even more settled than, than, then sitting is even more settled than standing. But I also think not as only more settled position, it's also a more aggressive position. You see, sitting is more settled than standing because you haven't just walked and then stopped walking. You've actually sat down and set up camp, Okay. Uh, you have no intention of moving from this position. This is where I am, and this is where I'm going to be. In the ancient world, to, to sit down was to, to take on the posture of, of authority and judgment. I suppose even in courtrooms today, a judge comes in and sits down to make his judgments or her judgments on the, on the, on the case. But sitting was the, the posture of authoritative teaching. So we see this in, in Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5 starts by saying that Jesus goes up the mountain, he sat down and began to teach. Because that was the way of Jesus saying, uh, I have authority here and you need to listen to what I'm about to say. So these people in Psalm 1 who, who sit, they not only take their own position and decisions against God, they also claim to have authority. They claim to have authority in the position they've taken. We all know, we've all seen this, haven't we? We all see this all around us in culture, in our culture. And they aren't just against God, they're actually teaching others to be against God and claim to have authority in this. Notice the word that is used here at the end of the sentence. Scoffers. This means that that not only are they claiming to have authority, they, they, they actually jeer and make fun of people who are not with them. I can't believe you believe that. Really? What are you like, a dinosaur or something? You know you're on the wrong side of history. Man, you're such an idiot for believing that. They mock and sneer at those who are walking in God's way. People who who don't just claim to have authority on moral or social issues, but they actually mock anyone who is walking in God's way. I'm sure a lot of us have experienced this, not just in the general sense, but maybe you've experienced that personally. Someone who's making fun of you or has made fun of you for believing the things you believe. Now, something I just want to point out just for a quick second is that when it says uh, to not sit in the seat of scoffers, 
This is not saying that we don't have non-Christian friends. This is not saying that we don't sit at the table with them. It does not mean that we don't spend time with people who are different with us. In fact, Jesus calls us to do exactly that. But what this is talking about is sitting down in that authoritative sense that we don't take the same position as them. Because the way of blessing comes by being the one who does not do those things. To be blessed is to not walk, not stand, and not set in the way of the world. The path to blessing, to satisfaction, to flourishing and fulfillment and joy is being separate from the world in that sense. And we have to recognize, and I have to recognize, that this is hard, right? This is a tough calling. There is a real cost to this blessing. Pursuing that true blessing that God offers us means that we will pursue the things He calls us to over the hashtag blessed life. We're going to be scoffed and mocked for the, part, for the path that we walk and the stances we take. We will choose to pursue reaching people with the gospel over doing well in our career. We're going to spend real time and, and money serving those in need rather than prioritizing a nice holiday. We're deliberately, we de- will deliberately choose to live in a smaller, more expensive house so that we can be better part of the church community. We will sacrifice our time and efforts to commit to each other in missional community. And to do this and to live this way is hard, but we do it confidently, knowing that this is the path to true blessing. This is the path to flourishing. And as we'll see in verse three in a minute, this blessing lasts. It's not gonna blow away like chaff in the wind. It's eternal, and it's worth far more than anything hashtag blessed can offer us. But that's what being blessed is not from verse 1. But what is the way of blessing? Look at verse 2. It says, But his delight, but the, lo- the one who is blessed, delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. See, the one who is blessed is the one who delights in the law of the Lord, the the instruction of God. That's basically what that means. The one who is truly satisfied and, and finds true fulfillment and deep joy is not the one who goes on good holidays and has lots of money and is in good health, but but the one who in the deepest depths of their hearts loves God and delights in his instruction, delights in the way that he tells us how to live. This is what this means. This is the Bible's way of saying that the blessed person, that the path to true fulfillment is by delighting in the way that God tells us how to live. See how different this is and opposite is to the very first sentence? The non-blessed person walks in the counsel of the wicked, but the blessed person delights in the counsel of God. And because they delight in God's word, they meditate on it. Now, this isn't necessarily meditation in the way that we think of meditation. For one thing, most meditation that comes from uh, philosophy in the world, Eastern or Western, involves clearing your mind. But, but godly meditation isn't clearing your mind, it's filling your mind with God's Word. I know people who do this when, I, I know a, a, a friend of mine and she teaches a yoga class and she's a believer and she, uh, in the time of meditation, she's like, we're going to meditate on this and here's a verse of scripture. And, and, and you're not clearing your mind, you're filling your mind, you're focusing on, you're not letting your thoughts wander, you're focusing your thoughts on God's word. But medita- meditation here is actually more than just internalizing scripture. 
what this word in the original language and original context means, it, it conveys us the idea of speaking, right? Speaking God's teaching. It has this, um, it, it actually like it conveys us the idea of like the, the murmuring of lots of voices in a room. So if you've ever been in a room where maybe like in a prayer meeting where there's different groups of people praying, uh, Barbara is smiling, she knows what I mean. It's like you hear lots of voices like murmuring. That's what this is talking about. It's like this person is so in love with God that they spend time in his word, and so when they speak, it's God's word that comes out of them. You tip over a glass of water, it's water that comes out because the glass was filled with water. That's what's happening here. And so we put this idea of delighting and meditation of God's word together. We can say something like this. Blessing comes from loving God and walking in his way, and this person both believes and speaks what God says. Blessing comes from loving God's word, or loving God and walking in his way, and this person both believes and speaks what God says. And this, when I was getting to grips with this verse, and I'm trying to be mindful of my time, uh, we're only in verse two and there's six verses, so there you go. <laughs> um, it made me wonder, why is it that I don't always feel blessed? Why is it that we don't always think that we are blessed? Why do we not always have that deep joy and satisfaction? And if this is what it means from Psalm 1 verse 2, could it be that we find ourselves dissatisfied, incontent, unfulfilled, lacking joy because we aren't delighting in God's word? Because here's what happens. When we get our definition of being blessed from the world, whether that's values, principles, or even that hashtag blessed relationships, money, health stuff. If that's where our idea of being blessed comes from, being fulfilled and flourishing comes from, and we don't have those things, or we don't have enough of those things, then of course we're going to be unfulfilled. This is why everybody in the world, even the people that have all those things, don't feel fulfilled. But when we turn our focus to Jesus, when we take on board his word and when we believe it and trust his promises, we find that in him we are truly blessed. So in those times when we're struggling with joy, satisfaction, we, we turn to God's word and we delight in it. We trust in his promises. We, we don't listen to what the world says about us. Well, you don't own your own home? Well, you're not blessed. We don't listen to what the world says about us. We listen to what God, what, what God says about us. This is the way of true and lasting blessing. And this is the picture that we get in verse 3. He says, the, the blessed one is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season. Its leaf does not weather. In all that he does, he prospers. Now, in a hot climate, like in the Middle East, um, which is the context of this being written, the only trees that produce fruit are the ones that have deep roots with a good water supply, right? And the way of blessing is to put our roots deep down into God, who is the source of life-giving water. Jesus says in John chapter 4, he actually says that he is the source of living water. He is the source of life. Because what happens when you don't water a plant? Well, it just weathers up and dies. I'm sure you've seen this. I'm sure maybe you've even done it. But when you do water it, even a plant that can, on the surface, look dry and dead, when you water it, it, it revives and comes back to life. 
And when we are delighting in God's word and walking in the way of the and not walking in the way of the world, we receive his living water. And, and not only that, we can produce fruit. You see, when the tree is planted beside the stream of water, it doesn't matter how harsh or how hot the climate around them is, it won't weather and die. Because it's not getting its source of life from the environment, it's getting its source of life from the, from the stream. Even though we live in a harsh environment where we are mocked and persecuted and it seems like heaven around us is against us and the way that we live, when our roots are deep in the life-giving water of Jesus, we won't just survive, we will thrive. We will be like that tree that bears fruit. We won't weather we will prosper. This doesn't mean that everything will go well for us in the way of the world. This isn't prosperity gospel. This isn't saying that, that, that in Jesus we're going to get all the things that hashtag blessed offers us. But actually in the Bible, the prosperity has this deeper meaning and it actually includes suffering, but it leads to eternal glory. That's what it means to prosper. So the, so the way of blessing is to delight in God's word, put roots down deep into him. And when we do, we will survive the harsh environment. And not only that, we will produce the fruit of, of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and self-control. And we will receive eternal glory with Jesus forever. Now, isn't that worth far more than having a good relationship or a nice house or lots of money right now? And it's just the opposite for people who don't walk in God's ways. The wicked won't prosper. They might have all the things that the world can offer, but in the end, those things will be blown away like dust in the wind. And this is the warning of verses four to five. The wicked are not so. They're not like that tree. They are like chaff that the wind drives away, dust that's blown away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. You see, those who stand against God now, their feet are planted and it seems like they're unmovable. One day, they won't stand when God comes in judgment. Wrongs have to be made right. Justice has to be done. We all want that. We all want God to do this. We want war and, and, and displacement of people groups and rape and murder and oppression to cease. And God will see to it. And there is no one who can stand against God forever. And this can be an encouragement to us as we uh, endure mocking and endure scoffing and endure suffering. But I wonder if you're like me, maybe you think, why does it seem like bad people always seem to do so well? <laughs> because I have to be honest, when I read these verses about the wicked uh, being blown away in the wind, it seems impossible. It seems on the face of it, not true. It seems to me that in the world that it's the people who aren't walking in the way of God that prosper. It's the people who lie and cheat and steal are the ones to get to the top. In fact, maybe I think the world teaches us to do that. You have to stand on other people if you want to get to the top. And actually, far more than that when I read this, Sam, is the problem that we all want to be counted among the blessed, don't we? We all want to be, uh, like verse says, Verse 5 says, we want to be in the congregation of the righteous. We want to be with Jesus in heaven. But we know that by nature, we are actually those who are wicked. 
We know that in our hearts, we are the ones who don't walk in step with God. We know that left our own devices, we walk in step with the world and we stand with sinners. And we so desperately want to be affirmed by people that we even mock anyone who goes another way. And at the very least, we all live the half and half life. And I know that you struggle with this because I do too. I, I, I feel the temptation to pursue that hashtag blessed life. If you've ever used that hashtag, by the way, I'm not dissing on you at all. <laughs> Maybe you just use it differently from now on, I don't know. But I know and I feel this. If I walked away from ministry, I could probably have a nice career and far more money and a nicer house. I know the temptation in conversations to just go along with the flow and, and not actually say what I believe. I betray Christ all the time through my silence. Hashtag the struggle is real. <laughs> So what are we to do? What are we to do when it seems like actually the wicked prosper and actually we know that we're not the righteous ones. We're not living that blessed life. Well, here's what we do. There's only one person who truly fits the description of Psalm 1, right? And he is the only person who truly deserves to receive this blessing. You see, Jesus prayed and sang this psalm. And when he prayed and sang this psalm, and he started in verse 1, and he said, Blessed is the one, he really and truly believed it. And not only did he believe it, he lived it. You see, he didn't try to find joy and fulfillment and flourishing and satisfaction in any other way. Jesus was pressured to walk in the way of the wicked. He was tempted to stand in the way of sinners. We don't have time to go into all the ways, but if you read the Gospels, you'll see this over and over and over again. But he didn't. And he was mocked and scoffed for standing in the way of God. He was despised and rejected. He was persecuted and scorned more than anyone else has ever been. And as a human being, we need to remember that he felt keenly the pain of humiliation, embarrassment, and rejection. And yet, he delighted in the instruction of God, right? His delight is in the law of the Lord. That's not me. That's Jesus. Jesus is the one who bears fruit in verse 3. He's the one who, who, who delights in the instruction of God and speaks out. He is the one with deep roots into the stream. And like verse 6 says, God the Father watched over his ways. You see this in Matthew 3, verse 17, when Jesus is baptized, he comes out of the water. And this voice comes from heaven. All these people stand around, they hear it. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. See, we need to grasp that Jesus is the one that Psalm, that Psalm 1 is, is first and foremost talking about. Because without Jesus, if we don't see Jesus as the fulfillment of this Psalm, then we're just going to try to be better, aren't we? It'll just be kind of a motivational talk. We'll try harder to be good. I'm going to try my best to live a good life. And we'll exhaust ourselves trying to be a good Christian and live up to the values of God. And when we do this, we will fail. And maybe you know what it's like to be in this cycle of trying hard, then fail. And then trying harder, then failing even harder. Then trying even harder and then failing again. And trying and failing and trying and failing. And that just leads us to hopelessness. I certainly know what that feels like. And maybe you feel that hopelessness this morning. But when we see Jesus as the blessed one of Psalm 1, we have hope, not hopelessness. Because listen to this. 
The blessing of God rests on Jesus. And because we are in Jesus, the blessing of God rests on us. Say that again. The blessing of God rests on Jesus. And because we are in Jesus, the blessing of God rests on us. He's the blessed one who walks in righteousness. And when we put our faith and trust in him, his righteousness is imputed on us. That means that it's put onto us. By his grace, when we are trusting in Jesus, his righteousness is given to us. So when God looks at us, he he doesn't see our sin and our failure. He doesn't see us trying hard and failing and trying hard and failing. When God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ. And so the blessing that belongs to Jesus is ours too. And this is why Jesus is the only way to a blessed life. So, I mean, I find this so, so relieving. We don't have to keep trying and failing and trying and failing and wearing ourselves out and driving ourselves deeper and deeper into despair. I don't have to keep trying to be a good Christian and trying to live up to God's standards and trying to not stand in the way of the wicked or walk in the way of the wicked and stand in the, in, in the way of sinners and, and, and sit in the seat of scoffers. I don't have to keep trying to do all these things. We can simply rest in Jesus knowing that in Him, all the blessings of God belong to us. So if you're struggling, like I do, with the half in, half out, the half and half life, come to Jesus, he says. He will give you rest. And then, and only then, when we've realized that it's only because Jesus is blessed that we are blessed, we can produce the fruit of the blessed life. It's only when we are in Jesus, it's only when we realize that he is the fulfillment of Psalm 1 that we can resist the temptation to walk in the way of the world, no matter how strong that temptation may be. Our roots go deep into the stream because our roots are Jesus' roots. So here's the comfort this morning. If you are struggling with not being satisfied, with being unfulfilled, with lack and joy, with with not feeling hashtag blessed, if you are tempted to walk in the way of the world, if you are disillusioned by all the things that that hashtag blessed promise us because you've got all of them, well then remember this. If you're any one of those categories, remember this. To be in Jesus is the only way to be blessed. Put your trust in Jesus and, and because, you know, we have to remind ourselves that one day all these things that we are tempted to find blessing and will be blown away in God's judgment. And even though it seems so hard right now, when we are in Jesus, we can find perfect and deep and true and eternal blessing. So we delight. One of this psalm. Because we are in him, we are too. Isn't that encouraging? Isn't that just so good to be able to rest in that? Man, Jesus is so good and I love him. Uh, Come Holy Spirit, let me pray. Um, Lord Jesus, you are so good and we do love you. We thank you that because you are the fulfillment of this psalm that we don't have to be. We thank you that uh, we can rest on your righteousness and rest on the blessing that that God has poured out on you, not not trying to make ourselves better. Um, Father, we just pray that you would, um, that through your word and you would send your spirit to help us to just rely on Jesus. Father, I pray for all of us who are feeling like we just keep trying and feeling and trying and feeling. Help us just to rest on Jesus. And whenever the devil says, you failed again, you just say, I know. 
but Jesus never will. Help us, Lord, as we come to your table now, um, take this meal that you've given to us, bless it to us, Lord, and may we meet with Jesus again here in new and fresh ways.